KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. How voter turnout shaped the midterm elections? The white voting population, which, is, as most of us know, is largely a Republican voting population, had more of a say. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. The not-so-clear path forward for Republican Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker. Unlike some speakers in the past, he's less of a, a, a policy specialist or ideologue, but is much more a relationship builder, and it clearly has served him well within the Republican caucus. And a look at veteran artwork on display at the Oceanside Museum of Art on this Veterans Day. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. As the vote count in the 2022 midterm election continues, a story is emerging about who turned out and why. UC San Diego political scientist Zoli Heinel, co-director of the Yankelovich Center for Social Science Research, joins me now with some takeaways. Zoli, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So one of the things you've noted about Tuesday's election is how similar it is to 2020. Issues that mattered to voters in the past mattered in the same way in 2022. What are some specific things you're seeing and why is that important? Yeah, I mean, uh, it does seem like in many ways a very static election, um, certainly in terms of the issues, but also very much in terms of the demographics and politics of the vote, right? So you know, in this hyper polarized partisan world that we live in, it, it was once again the case uh, on Tuesday that, you know, almost all Democrats voted for Democratic candidates, uh, almost all Republicans voted uh, for Republican candidates. You see similar trends, uh, constant trends by ideology, age differences, gender differences, racial and ethnic differences. So the things that predicted the vote before are almost exactly the same things that predicted the vote this time around. Mm. And one of the major differences is turnout. What are the exit polls saying about who voted on Tuesday? Yeah, and and the exit polls, obviously, we'd like to have more information and and more concrete information. But the early results sort of suggest that one of the big differences is that the white share of the vote uh, was greater this time around than it was in 2020. So uh, roughly... 73% of all voters uh, in the election uh, on Tuesday were white. That's up from about 67% in 2020. So the the white voting population, which as most of us know, is largely a Republican voting population, had more of a say in racial and ethnic minorities uh, who typically and generally are more Democratic, had a little bit less of a say. So um, that in essence, might account for some of the movement from 2020 to 2022 in terms of the Republicans making um, some level of gains in in certain locations. 
You know, with reproductive rights being a big issue heading into midterm elections, it was thought that women would be the deciders of this election. What did you find there? So, uh, yeah, so there, well, the interesting thing there is that the gender gap wasn't as massive maybe as some people were predicting it would be. So, uh, you know, the 53% of uh, women voted Democratic and, and 42% of men voted Democratic. So there's definitely a gap, but that's not dis- too dissimilar from previous elections. Um, that doesn't mean that abortion wasn't important. So it could be that um, men and women moved slightly to the uh, Democratic side because of the issue of abortion. But um, we, at least in terms of this, the simple gap between men and women, we didn't see a massive shift from 2020. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Gen Z vote, and in fact, about 27% of voters between 18 and 29 participated, the second highest turnout in a midterm in 30 years. What role did young voters play in the outcomes we're seeing? They played a big role, and they, there are two reasons why they played a big role and why one thinks that younger generations will be uh, will shift the partisan balance of power going forward as well. So the, the two reasons why young voters played a big role is, as you say, they turned out at relatively high numbers. So 27%, which is actually a small drop from 2020, but it's a there's a trend over the last couple of decades of younger voters participating more and more. So they were round, uh, around 20% turnout, and now we're getting closer to, to 30%. So they have a bigger voice, number one. The other change and maybe even bigger change in some sense is that younger voters have become more democratic over time. So in uh, on Tuesday, uh, that sort of 18 to 29 year old age bracket, 63% of them voted for democratic candidates uh, at the house level. That's gone up from basically younger voters 10, 20 years uh, ago being evenly divided between Democrats and Republicans. So more younger voters and more consistently democratic among the young voters who do show up indicates that uh, as America, in some sense, as older Americans have age out or are, are not involved in the election and younger, more and more younger voters are involved, well, we could become more democratic over time. Now, lots of other things will impact that, that future story, but uh, that's an interesting point to sort of think about that we are becoming, uh, or at least our younger generations are are more democratic. What about the Latino vote? There was a lot of discussion about Latino voters shifting to the Republican Party ahead of the election. Is that what happened? Um, well, so the, it is and it isn't. So yes, there is uh, a shift of some Latinos to the Republican Party. So um, we have, you know, a, a from a height of, say, 65, 66% of Latinos voting Democratic Democratic at one point in time to maybe around now 60% voting Democratic in 2022. So there's a small drop. Um, that there wasn't a significant shift from 20 to 22. Uh, um, and so what were, there's something happening, maybe, and it could be that if this trend continues, uh, Democrats should be worried and, and the Republican Party will gain, gain more and more Latino voters. But it hasn't been a big trend so far and it hasn't been a long term trend. So um, one, re- it's hard to know uh, exactly what will happen. The other thing I, I guess I would add on that is 
In previous elections, we've seen reasonably large shifts back and forth uh, among Latinos. And so a small short-term shift to me doesn't tell us that Latinos are moving over the long term to uh, the Republican Party. So we're talking a lot about it, but I'm not sure how significant it really is. Zoe Heinel is a UC San Diego political scientist and co-director of the Yankelovich Center for Social Science Research. Zoe, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you very much. It looks like Republicans will be in the majority in the House of Representatives come January. Bakersfield Republican Kevin McCarthy is expected to become Speaker, but as KQED Scott Schaefer reports, his path forward is far from clear. As the polls closed Tuesday night, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy told his caucus they would soon be in the majority. But the GOP celebration was put on ice as that red wave failed to materialize, leaving McCarthy's future in doubt. A narrow majority for McCarthy means he'll be much, much more dependent on Trump's strongest supporters because he won't have any other options for putting together a voting majority on the, on the legislation that he wants. That's Dan Schnur. He teaches political communications at USC and UC Berkeley. He says although Republicans apparently failed to win a sweeping victory, McCarthy has positioned himself to fulfill his longtime dream of becoming speaker. Unlike some speakers in the past, he's less of a, a, a policy specialist or ideologue, but is much more a relationship builder, and it clearly has served him well within the Republican caucus. GOP consultant Mike Madrid, who worked with McCarthy when he served in the state assembly, says as speaker, McCarthy is likely to have one goal. They simply need to be masters at obstructing and slowing things down, and I think Kevin's probably quite capable of that. After the FBI raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago, McCarthy told Attorney General Merrick Garland to prepare for oversight hearings if Republicans control the House. And Madrid is sure McCarthy will keep that promise. I think you'll probably see an effort to impeach the president, Joe Biden. I think you'll probably see an effort to impeach Merrick Garland. Mark Sandalow with the University of California's Washington, D.C. Center says it might be tough for McCarthy to keep his members together, especially do-or-die Trump loyalists and a growing number of members who embrace QAnon conspiracy theories. There's that group of maybe three dozen Freedom Caucus members who are willing to go sort of off the deep end on conservative issues. They're willing to shut down government, not raise the debt ceiling. McCarthy has never been one of those. Sandalo says the challenge for McCarthy, especially with a small majority, is that he lacks trust with the far right wing of his caucus. Nancy Pelosi has the credibility to go to the left and say, my heart's with you. Trust me on this. Kevin McCarthy does not have that credibility with the right. That lack of trust stems from things like the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. McCarthy took to the House floor that day and roundly condemned it, and by implication, President Trump. The violence, destruction, and chaos we saw earlier was unacceptable, undemocratic, and un-American. As Speaker, Nancy Pelosi has directed federal aid to California for things like protecting the Sacramento Delta or public transit. But it's unclear if McCarthy will keep California top of mind. In fact, says Ivy Cargill, political science professor at CSU Bakersfield, McCarthy hasn't shown much interest in helping Kern County address its many problems like poverty and bad water quality. 
Unfortunately, the air quality in the area is also very bad. I personally have not seen Mr. McCarthy discuss these issues. Assuming he does have a small majority, McCarthy might need to cut deals with Democrats to get things done. Dan Schnur says that could have an unanticipated outcome, more bipartisanship. He's a really good people person. He's very smart at reading a room and reading an individual. And as a result, he's actually like Biden. Whether the most conservative members of his caucus would even allow cooperation with the White House is another question. In any case, McCarthy as Speaker will likely have a very short leash, with more conservative Republicans waiting in the wings if he stumbles. I'm Scott Schaefer. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. On this Veterans Day, we're doing something a little different with our weekend preview. An exhibition on display now at the Oceanside Museum of Art celebrates the work of artists who are also military veterans. Pop Smoke, a veteran art exhibition, features artists who use bright colors, basic shapes, and common images. It's a nod to the well-known artists of the early pop art movement, including Jasper Johns and Roy Lichtenstein, who also happen to be veterans. Amber Zora is an interdisciplinary artist and member of the emerging veteran art movement. She is a curator of the Pop Smoke exhibit, and she joins us now. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's start with the name of the exhibit, Pop Smoke. What does it mean and what's it communicating to the people who see this exhibit? Um, Well, popping a smoke grenade um, is something that you do when you have, like when you want to take cover to leave um, a place. Uh, And it's kind of cheesy um, because I I picked Pop Smoke as the name as giving a kind of nod to pop artists. Um, But also, you know, I was thinking about like just kind of leaving certain ideas behind about veteran artwork. So popping smoke on some of those ideas. Hmm. Well, when you think of a veteran art exhibit, you might not actually think about bright colors and some of the joyful imagery that is part of this exhibition. What story are you telling or what message are you sending? The early ideas about this show, we talked about how veterans sometimes shy away from healing art language or language about being a veteran artist. And I just kind of kept thinking, why do we have to be so serious all the time? Um, Like, can we have a show that's somewhat joyful or weird and playful while also highlighting that veterans contain multitudes Uh, and that we're not a monolithic group um, that like veterans have come from different backgrounds and have different feelings around politics and also have different approaches to their art practice. You know, this this exhibit is a partnership between the Oceanside Museum of Art and the Veterans Art Project. And you held an open call for this for, for artists to submit their work, which really allowed you to get to know artists you might not have otherwise. Talk about that. Yeah, so there's, you know, different veteran art communities in Southern California. And the Oceanside Museum has like an art alliance and the Veteran Art Org has a group of folks too. But we really wanted to make sure that, you know, if there's veterans and service members that were in the area that we hadn't been able to reach out to yet, that they had the ability to like 
show their work as well. And so we had an open call and then I kind of juried or curated the exhibition and, you know, the artworks and at Oceanside are the ones that I felt were the strongest pieces for the exhibition. One of the artists whose work you included is Gina Herrera. Tell us about her and and her art. Um, Gina creates these um, sculptural works. She's from Bakersfield, California, and they're um, works that are created out of detritus or trash. Um, She was deployed to Iraq and she saw the miles and miles of trash that the U.S. was leaving there, um, the U.S. Army was leaving there. And when she came back um, to the States, she didn't want to continue to produce stuff. Um, so she um, was respond- She was responding to that experience by creating um, these sculptures out of, out of garbage. Another artist who created original work for the exhibition is Michael Stevens. Tell us about him and his work. So he, um, he lives in Oceanside and he created uh, all of the, it, the, the, the work is called uh, Lick Tensteins. And so he really responded to Roy Lichtenstein's work in that like he was creating these beer signs that used a lot of similar colors to the pop art movement. And um, he just wanted to create new works, new cups. And so he kind of um, pushes back on kind of like healing arts being the only way to create like he just kind of wants to make new work and when I was talking to him about his work and why he used the bright colors he's like you know what when I was in the military it was all like olive drab tan you know natural colors that when I create work now I just want to use like bright colors And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the veteran community is not a monolith. How did you approach curating this exhibition to communicate that idea to people who would come to the exhibit? Thinking about, you know, every veteran has different approaches to the work. Some create for the healing benefits. Some, you know, just want to make cups out of clay. And some approach their work as activists or, you know, within like the social justice scope. And some are, you know, bringing a kind of more deep or like art historical side of things. And I, I created an exhibition that kind of touches on a lot of different ways that veterans create. Um, and, you know, I feel like most people don't have too many points of reference to the military. Um, I mean, if Southern California obviously does, <laughs> but some have like a very specific idea of what a veteran is. And I came back from Iraq when I was 21. So, and most of my unit was under 25 years old and still had, you know, like baby fat in their che- on their cheekbones. And I don't think that when you think of a veteran, you think of like a 21 year old woman, like a college student. Um, but I'm 36 now and uh, I'm still a little bit of like an anomaly at uh, the VA hospital. So I wanted to make sure that like there was multiple perspectives um, that were represented within the the exhibition. Mm. Thank you so much for your service, Amber. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've been speaking with Amber Zora, curator of Pop Smoke, a veteran art exhibition on display now through January 15th at the Oceanside Museum of Art. And again, thanks for your time and sharing this art exhibit with us. Thank you. KPBS On Demand is supported by 
UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.